What better way to start this episode than by talking about love? The moment you first see someone, talk to them, hear them, touch them. There's no greater feeling in the world. Whether you fall in love in your youth or in the later years of your life, the feeling is always the same. For many of us, love eclipses space and time. The world stops the moment you fall into their arms. For others, it's a roller coaster ride with thrills, excitement, danger, and when the conditions are right, it's a match made in hell. Sometimes this doom pairing can be easy for some to see. Other times, they mask the real evils under the guise of love. You've heard of these relationships before. We call them killer couples. Their relationships start off fast and intense. With such a consuming love, they will do anything to make their partner happy. There have been some of these couples over the years who have made the headlines, but it's rare. There was a Canadian couple of Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamulka who had sex within a few hours of meeting each other, and after Paul expressed his displeasure that Carla wasn't a virgin, she offered up her 15-year-old sister as a consolation. American couple Alton Coleman and Deborah Brown, whose crimes were so horrific, the FBI added an 11th spot to their 10 most wanted list. British couple Ian Brady and Myra Henley, whose rapes and murders included that of a 10-year-old girl. But arguably, the title of the worst killer couple goes to Australia's own, David and Catherine Burney. I'm Dave Jari, and I am the Serial Hauler. David and Catherine first met when they were 12 years old. Both came from highly dysfunctional homes. David, the oldest of five children, lived in absolute squalor. His mother was a severe alcoholic who never cooked, never cleaned, and would savagely beat David. She wasn't much for raising her children either, relying on David to care for his younger siblings. When any one of them caused trouble or broke something in the house, David would receive the punishment for it, oftentimes receiving full swings from a broom handle. His father wasn't much help. Working two jobs and considered by many as homely and weak, his father lacked any sort of backbone to defend his children. David had difficulty making friends because of his unkept hygiene and rumors around town of his mother's alcoholism and infidelity, as she was known to offer sexual favors to taxi drivers in exchange for paying a fare. As David got older, he began to rebel and soon found himself on the wrong side of the law. Catherine had her own difficult childhood to contend with. At 10 months old, her mother died while giving birth to her brother, who also died two days later. She was forced to live with her father, who was living in South Africa at the time. However, her father didn't want her. All throughout her childhood, she was being shipped back and forth between her father and her grandparents neither of whom gave her the love and stability a child needs during their developmental years. Catherine eventually settled down with her father, now back in Western Australia in a suburb of Perth. She began dating David when they were both 14, 
They both felt a strong connection because of their difficult upbringings, and Catherine would tag along with David when he committed his crimes, eventually leading to trouble for both of them. David quit school when he was 16 and began working at the racetrack for a famed jockey who set David up with living arrangements at a local boarding house. That didn't last long as David showed up in the landlord's bedroom, naked, with a stocking over his head, and tried to rape her. Catherine's father begged her to stop seeing David, but there was no separating them. That is, until Catherine found herself in prison, finally away from this poisonous relationship. early 1970s, with Catherine still in prison, David was married. He and his wife had a daughter, but David had difficulty being a husband and father. He was addicted to porn, sex, and developed many fetishes. His marriage was doomed once it became evident that David was having extramarital affairs, with the culmination of him moving his 16-year-old girlfriend into the home he shared with his wife. When Catherine was set for release, her parole officer set her up with a job as a housekeeper for the McLaughlins, a prominent family in town. At the age of 21, Catherine married the McLaughlin's son, Donald, and they went on to have seven children together. But as with David, the flame of her marriage would soon be extinguished. When Catherine went to the hospital for a hysterectomy after her seventh child, a familiar face arrived in her room. It was David. And in that moment, years were erased, as if they were kids again. Once she left the hospital, she filed for divorce, and her and David were connected once again. Though they never got married, Catherine went as far to legally change her last name to Bernie. If you're looking for a rekindled romance like you would find in a notebook, you won't find it here. Instead of holding each other in the rain and expressing endless love for each other, Catherine, vowing never to leave David again, catered to his deep-rooted sexual fantasies. She went so far as to help plan and execute the kidnapping, rape, and murder of other women. The Serial Holic will return after a quick break. Now back to the serial holic. 22-year-old Mary Nielsen, who worked at a local delicatessen as a way to help pay her way through the University of Western Australia, crossed paths with David Burney at a spare parts store he was working at. David offered to sell her discounted tires for her car, but she would have to pick them up from his house. On October 6, 1986, Mary called and said she would stop by to look at the tires after she got off from work and on her way to her classes at the university. She arrived at 3 Morehouse Street and was greeted by Catherine. After a brief and pleasant exchange, Catherine invited Mary in. As soon as the door closed, Mary was attacked, gagged, and tied up to the bed where, as David was raping her, Catherine would provoke Mary. 
Catherine would also fondle David's testicles during the rape to make the experience more pleasurable for him. When he was done, David drove Mary's car to the car park across from the police station, figuring it would be the last place they would look. When he returned, he raped Mary again. After a short time, they put Mary in the boot of the car, or a trunk as we say in America, and drove her to the Glen Eagles National Park where David would rape her for a third time before strangling her with a nylon cord. Before burying her in a shallow grave, David also stabbed her in the chest because he read somewhere that would speed up decomposition. Mary Nielsen was one year away from receiving her degree. Fifteen-year-old Susanna Candy was a standout student at Hollywood Senior High School. Her family was well off as her father was a top eye doctor in Western Australia. Nearly two weeks after the rape and murder of Mary Nielsen, David and Catherine went cruising in their car for hours looking for the next victim. That's when they found Susanna hitchhiking along the Sterling Highway. They offered her a ride, and after Susanna scanned the situation and felt it was harmless, entered the car. As soon as the door closed, Catherine pulled out a knife and tied her hands together. Back at Three Morehouse Street, the Bernies forced Susanna to write a letter to her parents saying that she was fine and decided to go on a trip. She was then chained to the bed and David raped her. After the rape, Catherine climbed into the bed with them and she and David raped her again, with Catherine being a very active participant. David tried to strangle Susanna with a nylon cord, but Susanna put up a fight, kicking and screaming. They forced sleeping pills down her throat, and once asleep, David put a nylon cord around her throat. But he did not kill her. David wanted Catherine to prove her undying love for him, so she strangled and killed Susanna. They then loaded her body into the car and buried Susanna next to Mary. Nolene Patterson was 31 at the time of her abduction. On November 1st, 1986, she ran out of fuel on her way home from her job as a bar manager from the Netherlands Golf Club. The Bernie seized this opportunity. Offering her ride to a petrol station, Nolene was quickly held at knife point, tied up, and taken back to 3 Morehouse Street. She was chained to a bed and raped. Nolene, much older and wiser than the first two victims, decided to play her situation a different way. Instead of fighting and screaming, she tried to seduce David. When Catherine left the room, Nolene put on her charm to get David to put his guard down. It worked. For now. Catherine wanted to kill her that night, but David decided not to. He kept Nolene for three days, and it was evident that David had developed an emotional connection with her. Furious, Catherine came in the room in a jealous rage and gave David an ultimatum. Either choose her over Nolene, or she was going to kill herself. Nolene's plan came crashing down. David forced an overdose of pills down Nolene's throat and strangled her in her sleep. When they brought her body to Glen Eagles, David dug a hole away from the other two because Nolene was special and deserved her own area. Catherine, still spiteful, took great pleasure in throwing sand in Nolene's face as she was being buried.
Bernie's didn't waste any time looking for the next victim. Catherine wanted to get Nolene out of David's head. On November 5th, they found 21-year-old Denise Brown waiting at a bus stop and lured her into the car. Again, held at knife point, tied up, and back at 3 Morehouse Street, David and Catherine savagely raped Denise throughout the night and the next day. In the afternoon of the 6th, they brought Denise to Wanneroo Pine Plantation. David raped her in the car while they waited for darkness. They dragged her out of the car, and at Catherine's suggestion, David raped her again before stabbing her in the neck. Thinking Denise was dead, they placed her body in a shallow grave, but Denise sat up. David quickly retrieved an axe and struck her twice in the head. Now dead, they finished burying her. On November 9th, 17-year-old Kate Moore found herself inside the Bernie's car after having a couple of drinks with her friends. They drove her to her house, but once there, Kate noticed that the door handles were removed. That's when she was struck, tied up, and gagged, and on their way back to 3 Morehouse Street. Once there, they forced Kate to call her mother to tell her she was sleeping at her friend's house. Kate was forced to dance for them for two straight hours to the song Romeo and Juliet by the band Dire Straits. Throughout the night, Kate was raped. When she asked if she was going to be killed, David told her that if she was nice, she would only be raped. They gave her sleeping pills, but Kate hid them under her tongue and later stashed them in the seat cushions. The next morning, David raped her again before going to work. After he left, there was a ring at the door and Catherine went to answer it. However, she forgot to chain Kate back to the bed. It was now or never for Kate. She broke the lock off of a window and slid through. She hit her head on the concrete as she fell out. She ran down the street, knocking on numerous doors, jumping fences, and even being attacked by a dog before coming across a vacuum cleaner shop. She told the shop owner that she had been kidnapped and raped. Once the police arrived, they were skeptical of Kate's story, with the exception of a female officer. Kate provided too much information for it not to be true, such as she was watching the movie Rocky and that she stashed a drawing in the house to prove that she was there. Police went to 3 Morehouse Street and discovered the drawing in the Rocky movie in the VCR. Both Catherine and David were arrested. Catherine denied ever meeting Kate, but David admitted that Kate came over for consensual sex. After the police kept pressing, David admitted to her rape and kidnapping and also confessed to four other murders. After being tried and sentenced for the murders of Mary, Susanna, Nolene, and Denise, both David and Catherine were sentenced to four consecutive life terms. Thanks to Kate's quick thinking and will to survive, she not only saved herself, but saved countless of other lives in the process. On October 7th, 2005, at 4.30 a.m., nearly 19 years to the day of Mary Nielsen's rape and murder, David Burney was found hanging in a cell. Catherine was not allowed to attend David's funeral, and she continues to rot behind bars. This episode of The Serial Holoc by Criminal AF was written and produced by me, 
Dave Jari. Be sure to follow Criminal AF Pod on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Signing off from Studio Chloroform. Keep your head on a swivel. And stay safe till next time.